Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Tidewater Year-End 2020 Financial Results. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference call over to your speaker today, Mr. Joel Bora, CFO. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, joining the call. Before passing the call over uh, to Joel McLeod, our President and CEO, uh, for the review of the quarterly highlights, just want to remind everyone that some comments made today are forward-looking in nature based on our expectations, estimates, and, and judgments. Uh, some of the statements we express or imply today are subject to risks and uncertainties, which can cause actual results to differ from expectations. Uh, also, we may refer to non-GAAP measures. Uh, to know about to, to know more about our, our forward-looking statements and not gap measures, uh, please refer to our various financial reports uh, on tidewatermidstream.com or on CDAR. Uh, with that, as usual, I'll pass it over to Joel McLeod for a review of the quarterly and annual highlights. Thank you, Joel. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining our Q4 2020 conference call. We delivered a record corporate adjusted EBITDA quarter in Q4, where we delivered adjusted EBITDA of $48.8 million. This represents a 22% increase in adjusted EBITDA year over year. We continue to see material per share distributable cash flow growth into 2021 with producer activity, increased volumes, increased refined product demand, and also crack spreads and frack spreads being quite strong. Our number one priority remains deleveraging and free cash flow generation, and we are confident in our ability to achieve our target of 3.25 to 3.5 times debt to EBITDA with the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline. This morning, we announced an update to our renewable energy initiatives, as over the past 6 to 12 months, we have made material progress on numerous fronts and have engaged CIBC and National Bank to help us evaluate our numerous options in funding these projects. We want to be clear that our goal is to deleverage Tidewater in financing these projects and to also maintain control and material ownership of these projects as they have strong return profiles. Our renewable initiatives give our shareholders significant upside to increasing carbon tax, the new Canadian clean fuel standards, BC LCFS compliance costs, and RINs. These initiatives include opportunities in renewable diesel, co-processing, renewable hydrogen, blue hydrogen, renewable natural gas, carbon capture, and various other renewable energy projects. Our largest renewable energy initiative is our renewable diesel and renewable hydrogen plant at Prince George, which will be a standalone renewables complex with a total capital cost of approximately $225 million. We have received approximately $100 million of grant funding from the BC government in the form of BC LCFS credits, and do want to thank the BC government for all their support. As a result, our net capital contribution would be approximately $125 million, and we do expect the asset to deliver over $75 million of EBITDA on an annualized basis. The consumer use of the produced renewable diesel and renewable hydrogen is expected to reduce carbon intensity and related GHG emissions by approximately 80 to 90% and 65 to 75% respectively versus conventional diesel, which represents the equivalent of removing approximately 70,000 to 80,000 vehicles from the road annually. Impressive returns for a renewable energy project where diesel demand in BC remains strong and we continue to see diesel prices in Prince George being as high as anywhere in North America. 
want to be clear that we are now evaluating the various options that we have to fund our renewables initiatives with a focus on deleveraging Tidewater. We also have two other capital projects, including our canola co-processing project, which does come online Q4 of this year and has been funded 100% with the support of the BC government in the form of BC LCFS credits, where Tidewater's net capital contribution is uh, zero. We we were also happy to sign an an agreement with the BC government for their support on an FCC co-processing project which will come online in 2023 and will start in 2022. The capital spend will start in 2022 with a payout of approximately one year inclusive of the BC government support. As we mentioned in our Q3 conference call, the amount of government outreach, stimulus and support we have seen in recent months and even in the last year is nothing like I have seen in my career. We have received now with executed agreements of over $100 million of support and do expect to see incremental support from governments in the next 60 to 90 days where we are clearly seen as a leader in clean fuels by the provincial and federal governments. We do also expect to have updates on our blue hydrogen, renewable hydrogen, renewable natural gas and or carbon capture initiatives. We do want to thank the provincial and federal governments for all their time and support to date. We're also seen as a leader in the hydrogen perspective uh, and business by the provincial and federal governments as we have existing hydrogen production today at Prince George and has been operated for 30 plus years. And we are likely to move forward on the above renewable hydrogen project subject to financing and a financing plan. And we have existing operating carbon capture reservoirs today and our acid gas injection wells and related reservoirs at Pipestone and Atchison and our operating gas storage assets at Brazo River and Pipestone Gas Storage. Again, Tidewater is positioned extremely well to benefit from renewable energy and clean fuel stimulus. An update on our, on our base business uh, and to start with Pioneer, Pioneer Pipeline continues to operate incredibly well and our partner TransElta has been an incredible partner and, and the asset continues to perform well. The transaction, the sale of the pipeline is subject to customary conditions for a transaction of this nature, including regulatory approvals by the AUC and the AER, regulatory approval as an anticipated in the second quarter of 2021, and we do expect to close in the second quarter of 2021. In regards to Prince George, Another strong quarter in Q4, total throughput exceeded the refinery's nameplate capacity as we throughput approximately 12,200 barrels a day uh, and consistent with our third quarter of 2020. Great job by the team and want to thank them for all their their efforts. Uh, We had for the year 2020, we had the highest refined product sales that the Prince George refinery has seen in the history. So again, huge accomplishment by our team in a COVID year to have record refined products sales is something we should be very proud of. We expect the strong performance of PG to continue, Prince George to continue into 2021 where crack spreads continue to strengthen. We want to remind investors that a $10 per barrel move in the crack spread would result in north of 30 million of incremental free cash flow to Tidewater on an annualized basis. Demand for diesel continues to exceed our production as a result of large infrastructure projects, including Coastal Gas Link, Site C Dam, LNG Canada, and the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Over to Pipestone, runtimes continue to improve at Pipestone, and the asset continues to perform well. We are seeing consolidation and a significant uptick in activity in both the Montney and Charlie Lake plays. Uh, which is great for our terminaling activities uh, and the related gas plant. The gas plant does remain fully contracted and backstopped by two 10-year take-or-pay contracts. On the ESG front, it continues to be a a big focus of our our company. Obviously, our renewable energy projects further demonstrate our commitment to reducing carbon intensity and GHG and being a leader in clean fuel standards. Uh, on another note, in January 2021, the Government of Canada's $750 million Emissions Reduction Fund endorsed two small-scale tidewater projects, given our goal to eliminate uh, or lower routine venting and methane-rich natural gas. 
This will result in GHG emission reductions with the project expected to be online at the end of 2021. 2021 is shaping up to be a transformational year for Tidewater, where we are confident we will deliver shareholder value given the continued cash flow generation, growth of our base business, and the large-scale renewables initiatives that continue to progress. We want to be crystal clear that our goal is to deleverage Tidewater while financing and maintaining control over our renewables initiatives and are confident we have multiple paths to do so. It is extremely difficult to find larger scale renewables projects that are 40% funded by government grants and that also generate material cash flow. And we have the ideal cornerstone renewables project to do so in our renewable diesel and renewable hydrogen plant at Prince George. I do wanna thank our staff, board, shareholders, credit syndicate, partners, and all stakeholders for all of your support. We are looking forward to continuing to deliver strong results for our shareholders into 2021 and remain confident in our ability to deliver debt-adjusted per share free cash flow growth into the future. I'll pass it back to Mr. Vora and he can walk you through some of the details around our financial highlights related to 2020 and Q4 2020. Thanks, Joel. Now we can get into the exciting stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll give uh, um, an overview of uh, annualized results uh, year over year, 2019 to, to 2020, and then also quarter over quarter, Q3 to Q4. Obviously, 2020 was uh, characterized, I think, um, for everybody by uh, uh, the impact of COVID, especially in the first and second quarter, where where we did see a 10 to 15% impact to our annual results or where guidance would have been at the beginning of the year. Um, but year over year, when you look at 2019 to 2020, um, the, the, uh, I would consider outperformance from the Prince George refinery, considering um, economic shutdowns and, and the uh, commodity volatility we saw year over year. Uh, uh, Year over year, uh, I would characterize 2020 as a success. When you look at the numbers, considering uh, what we were what we were faced with, uh, but with that said, didn't quite deliver uh, the distributable cash flow we would have forecasted. We do expect uh, that to improve into 2021, and and is our focus to continue and increase distributable cash flow, reduce leverage, reduce borrowing costs, uh, and increase related EBITDA and cash flow. Uh, but with that, quarter over quarter, our revenue was was in line uh, in Q4 compared to Q3 at around 274 million. Uh, our annual revenue was up significantly, 979 million compared to 692 million in 2019. Uh, the 40-ish percent increase is mainly attributable to the refinery acquisition. Uh, gross operating margin adjusted for hedges was approximately 52 million for, for Q4 compared to 48 million in Q3, and uh, also uh, an increase in adjusted operating margin percentage of approximately 17% to 19%. Uh, and, and I think just reflecting a continued recovery in uh, the economy uh, uh, and prices and, and our overall uh, uh, base business. Um, annual adjusted operating margin was approximately. 190 million again adjusted for hedges versus 122 million in, in 2019, and again approximately 17 to 19, 17% uh, increase up to 19% in adjusted operating margin uh, year over year. Again, a, a contribution from um, uh, the refinery, and, and as we continue to see Pipestone improve runtimes and, and move up to consistent nameplate capacity throughput, we'll continue to see those margins increase uh, slightly. Adjusted EBITDA for Q4, um, Joel noted, was approximately 48.8 million compared to 47.6 million in the third quarter. Uh, again, um, continued continued recovery in prices in the overall economy. Um, we did see uh, we we did see some um, uh, restrictions and, and lockdowns in December, which slightly impacted. Uh, the quarter, but again, overall, uh, as those uh, pieces are lifted, we continue to see outperformance uh, in the assets, the refinery specifically. Uh, annual adjusted EBITDA was approximately 180 million, which would have been the midpoint of our guidance 
uh, of our, our revised guidance um, once uh, we assess the impacts uh, of COVID and, and shutdowns compared to 110 million in the prior year. Uh, and again, annual EBITDA margin uh, increased approximately 2% from 16% to 18%. And, and again, we expect that to continue to increase as we uh, move into recovery and, and uh, more of, uh, I think, more of a, a stable economic outlook. On the distributable cash flow front, um, probably the most important piece to us, um, we were 13.5 million in the fourth quarter compared to 10.5 million in, in the third quarter. Um, again, annually, uh, 47 million in 2020 versus 56 million in 2019, the main driver uh, of that being uh, borrowing costs uh, as we bring in the proceeds from the Pioneer Pipeline. We will save on a cash basis uh, seven to eight million in, in cash from the reduction in leverage from bringing those proceeds in. And as we continue to increase uh, EBITDA and, and free cash flow, um, ex expect to continue to uh, uh, continue to lower that that payout ratio. We have sort of um, guided to a 20 to 25 percent payout ratio. We do feel that we'll be at the lower end of that range. Uh, which would uh, drive higher free cash flow and, and potential um, potential to uh, uh, beat that or, or, or come in higher if, if we continue to see an economic recovery and, and the refinery continues to por perform how it is and, and we continue to see uh, uh, stable run times uh, at, at Pipestone and, and some of our other uh, larger assets. Again, to, to reiterate Joe McLeod's comments, uh, free cash flow, Leverage reduction uh, is the number one focus of the company, and and at the same time we we do see uh, as we move through the economic recovery, we do see the business um, uh, moving back to where we would have felt our our, our guidance was uh, pre-COVID. So uh, overall, 2020 a, a bit of a uh, obviously a difficult year, but. But to take the positives out of it, the assets performed well. Um, we have, in my opinion, stress tested the business and it performed quite well. Um, but that, that being said, still work to do to, to, to get to where we need to be on the free cash flow front and, and leverage reduction. But uh, feels that, that uh, 2021 is, is on the right path. I think with that, I'll, I'll pass it back to Joel McLeod. And then I think after that, we can probably open it up. To, uh, to questions. Thanks, Joel. I think we can open it up to questions. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Okay, at this point, if anybody has a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Cole Pereira from Stiefel. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I just wanted to start by clarifying for the renewable diesel facility that you plan to move forward with the project, but at this point, you're not formally sanctioning it, and you're going to wait until you have a financing plan in place. You've got it, Cole. We, we, we are not formally progressing until we have a financing plan. We've got multiple options, and we plan to evaluate those options here over the next couple months. Uh, so I guess on uh, that note, can you maybe give some color about which uh, financing alternatives you might be thinking about? I think we probably need a little time. We've, we've seen everything from project financing to separate 
pure play ESG entity from equity ownership to project level equity ownership, knowing that our main goal is to deleverage Tidewater and also retain control and significant ownership of these projects given the returns we expect they can generate. But do we have uh, a plan A right now? No, we just have seen uh, significant interest and, and need CIBC and National to help us evaluate all our options. Okay, got it, that's helpful, thanks. As well, with uh, the BC uh, credits, can you just clarify exactly how those would be realized, i.e. over what time frame? So, so the grants themselves on a part three agreement with the BC government, there's milestones that need to be achieved and then you receive a tranche of credit. So our existing canola co-processing project would be a great example. So it comes online here, Q4 2021 of this year. It started back in 2018. And as so even before we owned the refinery, when Husky completed the feed study, they were allocated BCLCFS credits. You're provided a set number of credits. So if the value moves up and we have seen values, and if you go to the BC government website, you'll see the value of BCLCFS credits from 2018 to say more recently in February have gone from roughly $150 a credit in 2018 through to 437.50, I think is the average transfer that happened here in February. But with the agreement, we're given a set number of credits, and then we're allocated those credits as we hit milestones. So should the value of the credits move up, as we've seen, then then the grant uh, essentially increases in value with the, the grant of the, those credits. Further to that, when the project comes online, our canola co-processing project comes online this year, and we start producing renewable diesel, Every molecule of renewable diesel that we move into British Columbia also generates a BCLCFS credit. So that value of a BCLCFS credit has a huge impact to both the capital cost and also the, the, ca the annualized cash flow of the, that project uh, moving forward as we sell that molecule of renewable diesel into the BC market. Okay, got it, that's, uh, that's a helpful thanks. And so, I mean, as we think about the capital cost of $220 million prior to the grant, uh, call it EBITDA of $75 million, obviously that's a pretty attractive you know, uh, EBITDA payback. So, I guess, I mean, can you just give some color on what are some of the factors that are getting you to such a low multiple on that, i.e. a quick payback? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we probably won't go way down into the weeds, but want you to be aware of the key variables. So the number one variable is the carbon intensity of our end product, which we do expect to be, in, and we were trying to, to relay the carbon intensity reduction, but it would equate to roughly a 20 uh, carbon intensity, which is that 80 to 90% per reduction versus conventional diesel. So that, that related carbon intensity is key in determining how many BCLCFS credits we generate every time we sell a molecule of that end product into to the market. And when we've seen BCLCFS credits move from $150-ish dollars in 2018 to $300-ish of credit, I'd say six months ago to today in February, large number of BCLCFS credits trading at 435. Just know that that's a big driver of the cash flow. We've tried to be conservative in our numbers, and we haven't included the Canadian Clean Fuel Standard credits, which would be incremental as well, but just trying to help educate yourselves and others that the carbon intensity of our, our fuel is the main driver of the, the credit component. Then we are, would also be paid a, a Prince George rack diesel price as we're selling that diesel molecule as well. As well. So in general, the 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 carbon credit benefit is about 60-ish percent of the margin. We can recalculate. I'm just trying to help to give you kind of ballpark components, and then that the diesel itself would be the, the remaining piece. But happy to to jump on a call and and give you a little more detail if you like. I, I hope that was helpful. Yeah, that was good. I'll uh, turn it back. Thanks for answering my questions. Thanks, Paul. Your next question will come from Robert Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Great. Good morning. I um, just want to 
kind of dig a little bit more into the financing side and, and understand some of the wording that you're using. Um, so no increase in corporate debt and, and the number one priority is to delever. Now, is that to delever into that three to three and a half times range or is it to delever into the two and a half to three times uh, long-term range? Yeah, it's a good question, Robert. I, I would say ideally we get down into the two and a half to three time range, but it'll depend on the terms and our related options. Number one is to deleverage. So we do want to be back to three times uh, debt to EBITDA. With Pioneer closing, as you're well aware, we get to three and a half. Um, with our free cash flow for the year, we feel we get close to three times. Um, but with the renewables initiatives, are, our goal would be to accelerate that and get to, to have a pass to three times debt to EBITDA would, would be a, a goal of ours. But to your point, it could result in, in even us moving closer down to two and a half times. And would you, during the, the multi-year construction, would you be comfortable flexing above that three and a half times range and then exiting back? Or is that whole no increase in corporate debt going to be um, both an absolute constraining factor and one that you will not allow EBITDA to go above three and a half times if you go forward with this? Yeah, I mean, definitely at 3.75 to four times, I would say we'd have a hard guardrail there where we wouldn't want to get to. When we speak to some of the government agencies and don't want to guarantee this, but if there was a, a very low coupon government type support, which we will evaluate, then I guess there would be potential during the build that we above 3.5. That is not our number one priority now or our best option, but would hate to say there is no way we will be over 3.5. I think as we get to 3.75 and, and 3.75 to 4, we do not want to be in that range again. And our goal would be to be at three times in the next 12 months. If you did it on a non-recourse project financing basis, would you be excluding that debt then from your calculation? For now, we would assume, Robert, when we're looking at options that we're consolidating everything up, and even if it was on a non-recourse basis, we'd like to stay under like 3.75 in aggregate. Uh, we know our shareholders, our board, do not want to see our debt levels uh, above 3.75, and ideally we get down into that three-time debt to EBITDA range. Okay. I'm um, just looking at your slide deck, uh, just turning overall on the debt side. It looks like the debt reduction exiting 2020 in your 2021 forecast is largely just the Pioneer proceeds coming in. Um, given the FFO you're generating and dividend being modest, are you building in material CapEx associated with this project, even though it hasn't been sanctioned yet, or just, I guess, what's driving uh, free cash flow being flat? Uh, we're, we're trying to be conservative. I'll let Joel jump into the detail, though. Yeah, I think, I think Robert, we haven't formally put out guidance yet. I think um, you'll, you'll see that from us in, in the next little bit, but there would be some, to answer your question, there'd be some CapEx uh, built into that number, just with the new information we've put out to the market, we just want to be um, careful on providing formal guidance right right now, knowing some of the opportunities that are um, that are in front of us. But yeah, to answer your question, there would be some capex built in to that number, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's X Y to this project or or that project. But um, just want to be just want to keep it to some ranges for now until we come out with formal 2021 guidance. Got it. And if I can just finish on the payout ratio, the, the 20 to 25 percent, and Joel, you mentioned, sounds like there's a decent chance you'd come at the lower end of that range. Um, is there an assumption, better an assumption there just on the dividend? And I know there's been some talk in the past about a potential increase. Just what are you factoring in as you talk about that payout ratio range and, and where you think you'd be in the range? Yeah, we, we when you when you look at that, payout ratio range and you go to the lower end of that range, we're, we're still looking at a greater than 50% uh, increase from 2020. Um, so we would be factoring in economic recovery, but to, to, your, to, to, your, to your question, I, I do think there's a decent chance that 
that we that we can beat that based on what we're seeing today. But is there a dividend increase built into that number today? There there wouldn't be. Obviously, there's discussions. We're having those discussions at the the, the board level and with shareholders all the time. So not to say that um, uh, you know we're not having those discussions. Or the answer is no. But the, the there, there there wouldn't be an increase built in. But I, I, I can't tell you that we haven't evaluated it and that, that at some point there could be an increase. But we need to, we need to show deleveraging and free cash flow before we come out to the market with a dividend increase. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robert. Again, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Rob Hope from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I have a question, a follow-up question to Robert's uh, question there. Just on, on the 2021 guidance, even though you're not putting out formal guidance yet, you did say that you're getting kind of back into the original guidance that you gave in that 20, uh, earlier in 2020, which was, we'll call it 200 to 220 million. Can you just walk us, when you look at 2021, what the key changes uh, you're seeing? I'm assuming you know, Pipestone will have greater availability and volumes. And then I guess specifically, you know, where you came in on uh, PGR and kind of what your expectations are for 2021. Yeah, um, I, I would say you you hit the two pieces, um, uh, Rob. When we look at the impact from the shutdowns in, in Q1, Q2, we look at overall impact to guidance, we're probably in that 10 to 15% range. And today where you see, when, when you see, I mean, crack spreads held up well at PG, at, at Prince George, but we did see obviously diesel and gasoline demand for a period of time come way off. But we, we are seeing demand uh, and margins at, at the refinery back to pre-COVID levels. We're seeing probably better run times than we saw pre-COVID at, at Pipestone. Uh, when you look at the, the gas storage business, I'd say there we're, we're probably seeing less volatility in, in gas prices than we saw pre-COVID. So that may be one piece that, that would be down a little, but still it's generally uh, largely contracted. So there isn't a ton of volatility in the, in the base cash flows. Um, but uh, the, the, the main pieces, I think, would be we're seeing strength in, in ACO gas prices. Our uh, more gas-weighted customers seem to be in, in pretty good shape. Um, we're seeing a recovery uh, uh, in commodities on uh, the frac spread front, on, on liquids, condensate, crude oil, uh, all positively impacting our customers and, and their throughput. Um, through, through our facilities and then Pipestone to be able to run at nameplate capacity is going to significantly help those cash flows. And then Prince George uh, today is, is running uh, pretty near, I wouldn't say that the, the top margins we've seen, they were pretty high at the end of 2019, but um, running pretty well. And then throughput is um, is essentially near or, or at all-time highs, and, and lifts are very strong. So um, those would be the types of things we're factoring into 2021. But at the same time, we just want to be uh, careful with with uh, OPEC, COVID restrictions. Um, I'm not sure I would have expected, uh, you know, in March 2019 that we'd have restrictions in in or, sorry March 2020 that we'd be in a lockdown in December 2020. So I think we want to be uh, just careful there. But did, did I answer your did I answer your question? Yep, that's great. Um, and then turning over to the uh, the renewal projects that you were speaking of. Um, so I understand that it looks like the key bottleneck right now for an FID is financing. Um, but can you kind of talk us through where you are in the engineering of the process, uh, as well as how long of a build there be there, and kind of you know. You know, just, just to better understand kind of the, the timeline there. Yep, no no problem, problem Rob. So if, if we look at the project, I would say it's about a, been about a year of evaluation, mainly internal resources, so we haven't allocated significant capital, uh, but we have engaged Haldertop, so um, who 
has 80% market share in renewable diesel. So I would say we're into feed today. Uh, our goal would be to be online in early 2023. Should we be able to, to your point, achieve a financing plan here in the next 60 or so days? So uh, we'll be spending the next couple months to, to work through our financing plan. And, and should we get there, then we would move the project forward and, and do feel that at early 2023, online date is possible should should all go well on the financing front sorry thank you thanks rob your next question will come from curtis jensen from Rabadi and company your line is open hey fellas can you hear, <clears throat> hear me all right yep curtis we're good um just think about the pioneer sale again i mean watching the the back and forth at the Utilities Commission, I mean, has is, is your confidence level changed at all in terms of, you know, closing this in Q2? Nope, I would say we haven't seen any material change or arguments that cause us concern. Obviously, the only concern has been how long it's taken, and, and we do apologize for, for that. It, um, but as far as new material information or concerns that have come through the process, uh, there hasn't been any and remain confident. And I think you'll see our partners and ATCO uh, through to other involved parties continue to relay Q2. I mean, if there was some wrinkle in terms of uh, Utilities Commission came back and said, you know, said something that was unacceptable in terms of the, the the consideration or the terms. I mean, is there kind of a plan B or is that, do you think it's such a remote possibility that you'll just cross that bridge when you come to it, if it, if it comes to that? Yep, we would be high 90 certainty again. We're not aware of anything that would cause concern. The the, the good news, I guess, we haven't been any, spending any time as we're confident uh, we will conclude the process, but there can there would be significant interest on a 15-year take-or-pay asset, uh, even if we did head down that path. But we're not. Uh, we're confident that we'll close in Q2 um, and happy to answer any other questions. Um, just a couple more. I mean, given what's happened to spreads and kind of rates generally, are there, you kind of identified some areas that, you know, were you to close Pioneer this in the next quarter, there's some, there's some potential for refinancing on attractive terms? Yeah, so as you're well aware, and I'm sure most on the call, the high yield market's been, been fairly hot. One piece for us was getting the this press release out just so we didn't we weren't sitting on any potential material information. So we are eager to to explore and, and speak to high yield investors and and explore the potential refinancing of our notes. And to your point, we don't want to sit around. The market feels fairly hot and and want to explore those conversations and and see if we can achieve attractive rates and attractive cost of capital to refinance. Our unsecured notes. Our credit syndicate's been phenomenal. So the good news is we're not any, any, under any pressure, but we don't want to sit around. If the market's hot, we want to get moving and, and explore those options. And that's another reason for the press release today is not to be promotional. It's just so we can go and have discussions with high yield investors as well and, and see uh, what terms we could potentially refinance our notes. And then the last one, I, I guess, I mean, refresh my memory, was there does Husky have a earnout potential based on the performance at Prince George, and for 2020, is is, is any of that, or is is there a potential earnout for them based on? I mean, it seems like volumes and crack spreads were pretty good, at least in the last half of the year, and. Good question. I need to review that agreement, but I'm 99% sure, Curtis, that no, and I. Believe the threshold. We can. We'll confirm and come back to you. I think the threshold's 100 million of EBITDA before IFRS adjustments. So yes, we had a great year. Very happy. Our our frack, our crack spreads would have been near kind of our base 45-ish dollar for for through COVID. Obviously, they've improved significantly now. But I would say 
99% or high 90 certainty, we will not have any contingent payments to Husky slash Synovus for 2020. Um, 2021, I mean, we're only three months in, but it, it looks like a much different picture as far as potentially being close to that 100 million of, of EBITDA number. I don't want to say I know we're going to have a payment to Husky slash Synovus in 2021, but when you look at the curve on crack spreads into the second half of 2021, the demand we're seeing, uh, we may come close or get there. Um, again, don't want to be promotional, but I would say there's a much higher risk in 2021 of us having to cut Husky Synovus a check than 2020, and, and that's great news for our shareholders, is that would mean we generate 20 to 30 more of free cash flow from Prince George than we did in, in 2020. And I guess the, the really the last one, we talked a little bit about cash flow, it may, you know, maybe not keeping pace with EBITDA. And I think Joel Boride kind of said, it, you know, a lot of that was interest expense that would presumably go away if, if you know, you get refinanced Pioneer. And I mean, are there any other pieces to that puzzle as far as, you know, is it either working capital, lease obligations, little things that where you might pick up incremental cash flow, you know, converting EBITDA into cash flow? Yep, I think there's some smaller pieces. I'll let Joel jump in, but um, definitely interest in financing costs is a big one. The other piece to your point would be some of our lease costs. We do, we have returned rail cars here, even in Q1. Uh, not a big material amount, but it will help. It'll help convert that EBITDA through to distributable cash flow. Um, and Joel, any other pieces? I think those would be the big ones. There's the good news is there's no additions coming to those those lease costs. You will see that come down. I think the question will be how much, and then should the market dislocate, um, we may potentially use some of the rail cars that we are planning to return later on in the year. So nice to have that optionality. Today we are planning to return, so that number will continue to come down. But with renewables, through to refined products, through to crude oil, the end of second half of 2021 is shaping up uh, that, that we could take advantage of some of those opportunities. But Joel, anything else in there that you want to let Curtis know that impacts? Well, I think I think those are those are the main pieces. The other piece, of course, would just uh, even be EBITDA and general free cash flow from the base business when we started the year with around last year around guidance of 200, and we came in at 180. That's all. That's all cash flow. So, you know, we were 10 million less free cash flow in 2020 uh, with with that $20 million addiction. Um, assuming we had hit guidance, we, we would have been a 20% increase year over year, even with the increased uh, interest costs. So then you add a pioneer closing on top of that and seven to $10 million in interest savings, then, then we get to a higher number, potentially 20 plus million ahead of what 2019 was. So yeah, Curtis, I think you, I think we touched on it, but those are the pieces and you start to stack them up and you can see a path to material free cash flow uh, generation and percentage increase year over year. All right, thank you. Thanks, Curtis. Again, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Okay. Next question comes from Ed Saloba from Spartan. Your line is open. Uh, good day. So, in terms of financing, what 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 are you looking at? Debt or debt? I hope right. Uh, a probable project level financing, which could be debt or equity or a working interest. In the asset, I, I think we have a lot of work to evaluate our various options, but it could range anything for project level debt. Our preference, though, and want to be clear, our number one goal is to deleverage Tidewater. So, uh, in my mind, there will be some sort of equity type of component at a project level. We are not planning to raise equity within Tidewater. Want to be crystal clear there, um, but. Uh, we have lots of options and, and interesting parties and, and have to work through the various options. Oh, I see. So you would sell the equity of the project to another entity? Potentially, if, if, if the economics make sense, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't want you to issue a <clears throat> company-level equity at these prices, certainly. Um, 
And just a big question in terms of your refinery. Um, it seems like it's a pretty small refinery compared to other refineries that are out there. So can you maybe just kind of summarize the economics of it and how it falls out in the competitive landscape versus other, other competitors? For sure. No problem. So you're right. Uh, I believe if we're not the smallest refinery in Canada, we are definitely bottom decile as far as size goes. So 12,000 barrel a day refinery. But what we do have at the refinery is conversion units and a reformer, an ISOM unit, an FCC that help us convert um, 85% of our fuel to, to spec product. So although our inlet is about 12,000 barrels a day today, today we're producing between 10,500 and 11,000 barrels a day of spec, ultra low sulfur diesel and gasoline. So I would say that's one of the key pieces that gives us a, a, a lift on our, our crack spread. And we do, I feel and believe we have the, the widest crack spreads in all of North America. The main driver there would be the Prince George diesel price. If you go to, you don't need a login. If you go to Shell's website and you type in rack prices, you'll see every major Canadian city is listed, including Prince George. And you'll see our rack price on diesel uh, is the highest in Canada, which will also equate to the highest price in, in North America. The big driver there is um, BCLCFS, but also uh, some of the large capital projects that are right in our, our backyard. And today we cannot keep up with the diesel demand that, that we are, are seeing at Prince George. Then you'd see Vancouver as the highest gasoline price, which is obviously within um, right, right in our backyard as well. And today we would see the highest gasoline prices at Prince George that we've seen since we've owned the refinery before driving season, which has been quite a surprise to us as well. So if you think through the economics, I want to be clear too, we, we just run light crude for the most part. We don't run any heavy crude. So our, our feedstock cost in general is an Edmonton light differential price. Uh, which today would be roughly WTI less $3 USD a barrel. So 90% of our feedstock, our feedstock is priced there. And then our end products, if we point you to, which is in public data, the Prince George rack prices, that'll, that'll enable you to, to run your own economics and say, okay, I see your crack spread is roughly $50 a barrel um, from the inputs and the outputs. Ed, is, is that helpful? Yeah, no, that's good. So you basically you're saying you're the smallest, but you're the highest margin, which is kind of turns economic theory on its head. Um, but but what like and why why is that price so high there? Like oil is uh, diesel is fungible, right? Could, wouldn't it be trucked in from other places where the price is lower? I don't uh, yeah, I don't quite get that. Yeah. No and do you think these these high crack spreads remain or is that a temporary phenomenon? No problem. So within British Columbia, there's only two refineries. There's Parklands Burnaby refinery, roughly 60,000 barrels a day. And then there's ourselves at Prince George at 12,000 barrels a day. So the BC market itself is significantly short product and, and permitting a new petroleum refinery in British Columbia, I think as most know, is extremely difficult um, given, given the environmental regulatory environment. So our main competition would come from Edmonton and then also the Pacific Northwest, Washington State, and down into to Northern California. But there, there's next to no infrastructure in BC, especially around Prince George. We control the million barrels of storage, the truck, the rail rack, and to get that product into our backyard, into Kitimat, into Prince Rupert, uh, is is extremely difficult. So it's more a function of the market being short. BC low carbon fuel standard credits are also a driver of the price. It's the only where BC is the only province in all of Canada with low carbon fuel standard credits. So that also drives up uh, the, the price and it creates a huge opportunity for us. But that those would be the main reasons why does BC have such a high price uh, on the refined product side. Is that helpful? Yeah. And then do you, do you expect this to last or, and uh, secondly, are there, given that it seems to be a very profitable operation, would you have opportunity to expand it? 
So do we expect it to last? Yes, we do. Uh, we just purchased and closed the refinery in November of 19, and, and I would say 50% of our time and effort and due diligence was on determining the margin. Will it hold? What risks are out there? And you'll see when we press release the acquisition, in our view, after the work we did, we thought that the absolute worst case scenario, I think, was a $43 crack. And that was before COVID. So COVID comes in and hits the refinery four months after we close. We most would expect in all other refineries across North America, they definitely went through their floors. Most were negative at times. And, and on average, I believe crack spreads were kind of zero to $10 a barrel. But to see us through COVID, we definitely were stress test in 2020. And maybe we broke 45 for a period of days or maybe one week, but in general, you'll see through our results that we held that 45-ish dollar Canadian crack, which I think proves our view and historical that 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 is the floor for British Columbia. I guess other things could happen. I would say there's never a 100% guarantee, but a COVID uh, is probably the best stress case scenario we could have for the refinery. So absolutely. We expect cracks to hold. We have been stress tested. And then obviously there's been other refineries that have shut in through California, through Canada, come by chance uh, at times, um, but even through the Midwest and down into the Gulf. And you'll see the forward strip on crack spreads across North America has widened. So, so we think 2021 could be a great year. We haven't released guidance, um, but are quite excited uh, with what we'll see at the refinery as far as cash flow generation in, in 2021. Okay, and then lastly, would you have an opportunity to expand um, operations at your refinery? Yeah, I, I think our focus right now is is a renewable diesel project, which is essentially an expansion, a standalone refinery right next to our refinery at Prince George. And that's where we would receive the value of the increasing BCLCFS credits, but also the value of the new Canadian Clean Fuel Standard credits and also the, the diesel value, uh, which is the highest market in North America. So that is our focus right now. But yes, we have been debottlenecking the refinery and and uh, I believe if we're not at record throughput, we are we are darn close. So we have been doing very small expansions. And I think to your point, we need to continue uh, to evaluate an expansion at Prince George, but we'd have more work to be done there, but absolutely it's possible. Okay, well, thank you very much and congratulations. Thank you, Ed, thanks for your time. I have no further questions, thank you. I turn the back, call back over for closing remarks. Thanks everyone, we really appreciate your time and support and please don't hesitate to reach out to us should you have any further questions or concerns. Thank you. Thank you everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.